Okay, well, as you all know, I've been working on the kingdom of heaven. Since this is a new year, I thought we'd go for expectations and goals for the future. Kind of sounds like the world, but <laughs> we have different expectations. So we look forward to this year with greater expectations, expectations that God is opening new doors for all of us to share the love of God with others. We continue to pray for those in authority over us that we may, what, live in peace. We're praying for our nation. We're praying for our children, our next generation. Recently, I was praying and, oh, my heart was going out to all the mamas in the kingdom, you know. They're all praying. They're all concerned. We're all concerned about our children. And I thought of Matthew 10, where it says, Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death, sad to say. Everyone will hate us because of Jesus. But, it says, the one who stands, the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So we continue to operate with God's word and believe and believe and believe and receive, right? Ask and believe and we receive. Lastly, for this year, we want more of the nature of God showing up in us, or at least I do. I'm assuming you do too. We are the righteousness of God. But then every once in a while, that little flesh head appears, and we just have that momentary what flesh flash. <laughs> of course, though, God is working things out in this situation. God is doing far above what we ask or think. We choose to hold our peace and pray through. And what is our work? Our work is to believe. Our work is to believe. Believe that Jesus paid the full price. There's no rejection, no condemnation, no damnation, no shame, no guilt. It's all been taken care of. Jesus has paid the price. So Lord, help us to be intimate with you, listening, listening to the Spirit, watching for what Jesus would do in each of our situations and following in his footsteps, spending time with him, reading in his word, cultivating and meditating on the word. So I found a promise for this year. I have it in the Passion Version. Because in the Passion Version, it was titled, A Glorious New Day. So, <laughs> rise up in splendor and be radiant, for your light has dawned, and Yahweh's glory now streams from you. Look carefully. Darkness blankets the earth, and thick clouds cover the nations. But Yahweh arises upon you, and the brightness of his glory appears over you. Nations will be attracted to your glorious light and kings to the sunrise glory of your new day. Lift up your eyes higher. Look all around you and believe. For your sons are returning from far away and your daughters are being tenderly carried home. Watch as they all gather together eager, eager to come back. Thank you, Jesus. There's a promise for us this year. What a promise. God is fulfilling his promises to us. We just keep sowing. 
by speaking seed promises from the word of God. We keep believing, we keep encouraging ourselves in the Lord that he is with us, that he hears us. Like I said, I've been studying in the kingdom of heaven and there are over 30 verses. (laughs) So I found one I thought that applied for today that speak of the kingdom of heaven. So who wants to be the greatest in the kingdom? Oh, PJ, all right, all right. You don't want to be the greatest? What? We can look to our culture. Now, really, I can't say I am aspiring to the presidency of the United States. And anyway, it is work to be at the top. But honestly, our freedoms are at risk, dear church, with the current leadership. Prayer is a matter of extreme urgency, I don't want to be great in the world, but, hmm, greatest in God's kingdom? I don't know. (laughs) The questions the disciples had with Jesus was this. Who is the greatest in your new kingdom, Jesus? Ha, ha, ha. (laughs) I think it could be still a question that's being asked in our generation. Do we want to be great in the kingdom? Do we want to be a servant? Do we want to be a friend? So my question today, or, or what I want you to get out of today, is I want to be more like Jesus, and I believe you do too. So do I believe? I believe I am now by faith. <laughs> so when I was reading about being the greatest, the least and the greatest, there was a word that grasped me, and I just love this word, and it was called change. <laughs> Have we heard a little bit of that today? Change? Now, most of the time, we don't like to hear that word. In fact, just a little thing, most of you all coming in here today, you have your spot, right? We don't always want to change, you know. (laughs) We have our spot. (laughs) I will say this year, Treva's been really good at moving around, but that that being That word change grasped me. We have grace through faith to change, to receive all, to trust. Did we not hear a song about that this morning? To trust our daddy God. We can trust him. It's law thinking versus grace and truth thinking. I have changed. And I can say for the last 10 years, the grace walk, I now like myself. It's been the best 10 years I've ever had. I am free. We talked about freedom. I'm not living that mixture of life where I have to do, do, do. And it's been a wonderful thing. So we come out of the mixture by grace. And we do it full throttle. (laughs) I asked Fred about that last night. Full throttle, right? (laughs) He didn't know what I was talking about. Full throttle grace. I guess I'll just put this in too. You know, I've heard this said. People have Jesus in them. It's like an airplane sitting at the end of the runway. The airplane, some of them, not all of them, maybe the ones you've been on, but they test. They test their engines. And they'll run it up. They call it a run-up run that one up it's working meanwhile they got their feet on the brake okay so you're running it up and if you're sitting in the back you can feel it we're getting ready to take off 
Okay, well, pretty soon they take off. But I've heard it said that if we don't take off, we can be sitting at the end of the runway with the power of God, with the authority of God all our life and not go anywhere. I want to go somewhere, and I know you do too. We're going to do it by grace. Daddy God gave me something else to share with you this morning too. I like that word change, but he said, remember that I have two unchangeable things. Have you ever heard this? This is out of Hebrews 6, 16 through 18. It says, it is very common for people to swear an oath by something greater than themselves, for the oath will confirm their statements and end all dispute. So, in the same way, God wanted to end all doubt and confirm it even more forcefully to those who would inherit the promise. His purpose was unchangeable. So God added his vow to the promise. We got the vow and the promise. And then he says, so it is impossible for God to lie to us. For we know that his promise and his vow will never change. So God is love. He's always been love. Always. So we're going to study about who's the greatest in the kingdom. And what I'm going to share with you, you will not find in any one spot. Because <laughs> I started reading and I was reading over here and it's like, what, what? Anyway, so I, I just put up all three and basically it's Mark 9, Luke 9, and Matthew 18. You got a 9, 9, 18 there if you get the right people. <laughs> Mark 9, Luke 9, and Matthew 18. I'm going to back up just a little bit in telling you this story. Remember when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to the mountain? Okay, I don't know if you've ever heard this. Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. The law changed to grace. John means grace, right? James means changed. He took those guys up and they had a little mountaintop experience, right? Because who else was up there? Moses, and he's emblematic of the law. And Elijah, he's emblematic of the prophets. And so we got Jesus, and we got Peter, James, and John. That's one sign. The law turned to grace. So they're all up there with Jesus, and then God comes out over the cloud, right? And what does he say? He says, listen to my son. Listen to Jesus. So it was an authority. It was a change in authority. We had Moses, we had Elijah, but now I want you to listen to my son. I'm giving my son authority. There was a change right there. So they came down from that mountaintop experience, and there was a father there, and he had his son there. It was a son that kind of had like epileptic seizures, and the father says, I asked your disciples to heal him, but they could not. That was right after they came down, or at least that's how it was written. <laughs> that's how it was written. Anyway, Jesus says, he says, you unbelieving generation, how long do I need to be with you? 
I always took that as condemnation, but Jesus had no condemnation in him. He did not say it that way. He simply made a statement. They're in unbelief yet. They were living under the law, right? But Jesus, what did he do? He said, Daddy, bring your boy over here. Then what happened? The devil said, let's have a little drama production, right? He'd throw him here and throw him there. But Jesus, what did he do? He used his authority from his father to rebuke the spirit and heal the boy. Don't you know they were all rejoicing? I mean, the disciples were rejoicing too. And what does it say in Luke 9, 43? It says they were all amazed at the what? The greatness of God. Wow. They had seen this with their very own eyes, a miracle healing. And while everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, Jesus and the disciples left Galilee on their way to Capernaum. And he's teaching his disciples. And he says, listen up now, boys. (laughs) He says, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Okay, we understand it. We're on this side of Jesus dying and rising again. But they didn't know what to do with that information. It was like totally beyond them. They wanted to ask Jesus about it, but they were like afraid of the answer. Okay, they're all walking. They are discussing what Jesus has done and healing this boy that has had devastating seizures. Some of them began discussing which one of them would be the greatest? I say some because in Matthew, he doesn't talk about it. And I'm like, well, either it was not remarkable enough for him to (laughs) write this down or he wasn't part of the discussion. Well, not all 12 of them can be all walking together when they're going someplace. So I'm thinking it was just a few of them. But Jesus wasn't part of the discussion either because it says when Jesus was in the house, He asked the disciples, what uh, were you guys arguing about on the road today? Hmm. They all kept quiet because on the way there, they had argued about who's the greatest. Don't you find that funny? (laughs) I find it funny. They had just all seen Jesus and declared him the greatest of all. And then we got, you know, guys, you know, how they go. They were all amazed at the greatness of God, but now they're like, who's the greatest here? Well, let's be real. We can all relate, right? Maybe you and your sibling argued about something, and wow, dad or mom brings up the situation, and you know they know, and they make their point, and you are very quiet. Y'all been there? The disciples had been in competition mode with one another. Well, here's another example. You're at work. You're a believer. Others are coughing. You might have the sniffles, but you decide to say, I am healed. In other words, you're not claiming you're sick. I'm healed. But then, co-worker, friend, maybe it's your brother, your sister, but for sure, the devil says, who do you think you are? You ever been there? We are not competing for a spot or a place in the kingdom because we know God loves us all equally. We are not in a power struggle. 
God has given us all his authority, all power over all the power of the enemy. So why would they be arguing about just who was the greatest? It's a plot of the enemy to get us to take our eyes off of how great Jesus is and put our eyes on, you know, hey, you think you're great. Oh, I am. They were still living in the Old Testament times. Their lives were based on the law, on performance. You do good, you get good. That's what they were living in. You do good, you get good. Who's the best one here? When you live in the law, you strive in the flesh. We don't want to live there anymore. The power to heal and the works of Jesus were not intended for competition, but our flesh head can make that out to be a competitive race sometimes. Now, to be the one great being or to be one great like Jesus, there's nothing wrong with being like Jesus. In fact, the grace of God intends that we all be made in his image, right? In the likeness of Jesus. All. It is for all of us. There's not just one conqueror or one the greatest. For the grace of God is for every one of us to be able to operate in the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit showing each one of us who to pray for who to lay hands on, who to share the love of God with, who to encourage each day. So, continuing on, Jesus had asked the question, what were you all discussing there? And the disciples said, well, now that you bring it up, Jesus, (laughs) who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus sitting down, I love this. I love that he sits down. Just have a little discussion here, just to tell us how his kingdom operates. He's doing it in gentleness. He's doing it in truth. He's doing it patiently, spelling it all out for them, and us maybe too. And then he called the 12, you, (laughs) come, come, come. Let's have a little family discussion here. To me, this says that not everyone had really been in on this little squabble about who's to be the greatest. And then Jesus says, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. You think that burst a bubble? Anyone aspiring to be the first, not thinking about who might be a lowly servant? I think the ones that had the discussion at the very least around the table at least gave the eyeball to the one who said he was the the greatest. (laughs) Who knows? You guys weren't there. <laughs> you didn't give an eyeball to, the, to your sibling. Maybe you didn't have siblings. I don't know. <laughs> we tend to get down on the earthy level. Anyway, going on. Jesus, knowing their hearts. I love this part too. He knows all of our thoughts. I'm sorry. He knows our thoughts and hearts. He knows our hearts too. Jesus called the little child to himself. And at first, I thought this was like a three-year-old, and I looked it up, it said half-grown. All right, well, if they're grown and become mature (laughs) in the Jewish nature at 13, well, half would be six. Well, there's maybe a little bit different between a six-year-old and a three-year-old, but I just love that Jesus called the child to him and taking the child in his arms and wrapping him. What love Jesus had for this child. He said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, Unless you change 
And there it is. <laughs> Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Say that again? What? Jesus says truly from the bottom of my heart. I tell you, unless you change, that word is convert in the King James, unless you change and become like children, like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Seriously, Jesus? Now, I looked up that convert. Convert said to turn, to twist self around, like to go the other way. You know how it is. We've been walking in the world, right? And we come upon Jesus and we do what? An about face and we go the other way towards Jesus, right? Anybody been in the military or in a band? You do about faces, right? Suddenly you realize, I don't know about you guys, but I was, oh, wait a minute. I'm walking towards the world again. Whoops, here we go. <laughs> walking towards Jesus. We turn around, change. We change directions as I've gotten more with grace. I used to feel that way, you know, I, I was like I was really doing this, but now it's like grace teaches us to say no. So in my mind, I've gotten better at, wait a minute, wait a minute, I don't think like that anymore. That's not my identity. That's not who I am. I'm not going to be condemned because I'm walking towards Jesus. I'm doing that more and more in my thinking. We can change our thinking. The grace of God gives us the ability to say no, but it also gives us the ability to live. If we look at that scripture, then he says, therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said to them, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you, all will be great. I looked up received. Uh, Greek lesson today. Deck. Omahi, mahi. <laughs> That's how I remember. Deck of cards, right? Deck omahi, mahi. <laughs> it's really deck omahi. It means to receive. By receiving, we change. By receiving, we can go from unbelief to believing. I don't know, somewhere within the last year, I was having a real trouble with, how do I know I believe? How do I know, Lord, I believe? I mean, the devil was really getting me, and finally it was just like, I'm taking it. You know, take, lambano. It's the same word as decomahi. It's the same word, lambano. We take it, we receive it. I have, <laughs> I believe. I'm not going to try to figure myself out. I'm just taking it by faith. We walk by faith in the grace of Jesus. We accept, we receive. Dekomahi. It's a gift. Most important to receive Jesus and his Father and the kingdom. And even in John 3 3, Jesus tells Mr. Demas, you know, do you remember Mr. Demas? Nico? Nicodemus? He tells him, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again, unless they are born from above, right? Jesus continues to say, if anyone causes one of these little ones 
those who believe in me to stumble. It would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Our commandment is to love one another. It's not accusing or belittling or putting anybody down. We're believing. Our commandment is to love one another. This is serious doctrine, very serious to cause someone to stumble. So I got to this point, and I was like, okay, Jesus, I'm thinking about the little children, I'm thinking about the adults, all the attitudes and the thinking, and Jesus, he's got this child, this child that is willing to learn, right? At six, children just, they're like sponges. They're willing to learn, they're inquisitive, they're questioning. Jesus is with his disciples, and he has made it quite clear to them that As far as Jesus is concerned, children, being the least, are the greatest. (laughs) It's like, oh, Father, I want to be like a child. And then again, if you don't agree or believe this, then you cannot ever be a part of the kingdom of heaven. Wow, Jesus, this is pretty strong. His kingdom is different from the law, but his concern and love for children did not change. So that was the greatest and the least. So I'm going to another situation where Jesus talks about the children. In Mark 10, it says the people, and actually it was talking about crowds, the people were bringing little children. And when I looked this one up, it was infants, half grown. It even said immature Christians to Jesus for him to touch to place his hands on them and pray blessings on them. In the Jewish culture, when they have their Shabbat, you know, the children always had to be there. And one of the things they had was a candle (laughs) because they couldn't have light, I guess. I'm not really sure on this, but one of the things is the father always blessed the children. I went and I looked at what touch means because in some of the versions that said to place his hands on the children, it was a desire for the parents to have the blessings of Jesus on their children. Jesus was a rabbi. But then I was thinking about it, you know, the woman that had the issue of blood, what did she say? She just wanted to touch. I mean, healing was coming forth from Jesus. Something as what we sometimes think of of just simple, a touch. But it is a very important thing because doesn't it say that we lay hands on the sick and they recover? There's something that connects us in touch. And when I looked that up, touch meant to attach oneself to, and then it rooted down to a verb that meant to fasten to. And I thought of this like in the spirit, to set fire on, to kindle, to light, as opposed to the darkness, to touch and pray. But then it says, when the disciples, when they saw these parents bringing these children to Jesus, they rebuked them. The disciples rebuked, they censured, they admonished, they forbid the people. What? They were forbidding the parents to bring their children for the blessing. That's what they wanted. They wanted a blessing from Jesus. What, the disciples thought this was too much for Jesus? Uh, We're important here with Jesus? 
They had a little attitude problem because when Jesus saw this, it says he was indignant. He was displeased. He was much grieved. Turning the people away from me? Jesus never does that. It doesn't matter if we're babies or if we're 120. Jesus never rejects us. He's never too busy for us. But he corrected them with grace. I might have not been so graceful. <laughs> he said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms. He placed his hands on them and he blessed them. He touched them. I noticed that in all three of these accounts, too, the very next thing was the account about the rich man asking Jesus, what can he do? Well, I saw there's a little bit of a contrast here. It's the child who has done no works, representing to me the grace of God, done no works. It's the gift of God, right? As compared to the rich man, who in all his strength, in all his intelligent work, his success was 99% perfect. Just tell me what do I have to do? He asked the wrong question. I never did understand that because Jesus said, well, go and do this. He didn't want to receive anything, Jesus. Jesus was receiving these babies. He receives us when we come to him. And what have we learned? Jesus plus nothing of me is everything. That's our freedom. I don't have to do, do, do. That doesn't mean I don't do. I'm just led by the Spirit. I'm not doing as a checklist. I'm not running around. I'm resting in Jesus. I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus tells me what to do, I do it because he knows everything. So there was a contrast of receiving from God what he has done. He has done. Jesus has done it versus what we can earn. We can earn nothing. We are to be as these children, Jesus said. So my point is that as children, we do nothing to earn the love of Jesus. It's a gift. It's his grace versus law versus what we can do in self. Jesus loves us all. Jesus did two things. He touched them, he put his hands on them, and he prayed for them. I just want to say one more thing. When I looked on that touch, when I checked that in the Greek, the laying hands, as I said, was a connection in the spirit, but it was the opposite of separation. It was the opposite of darkness. It was the opposite of a chasm. There's a connection being made. What a wonderful thing that all these Jewish children get every week. You know, they get their daddy, sometimes their mamas, but they get their daddies laying hands on them and praying a blessing over them. No wonder we have so many Jewish people that have created so many things in the world. It's a connection. I know that's what I wanted in life. My daddy was a workaholic, I understood. You know, you got to work to provide for the family. But, oh, to have dad at your music concert or whatever it is as a child, 
it's important that we keep that connection with our children. And Jesus blessed them. The Father blesses his children. This happens to many children in legalistic or law or Ten Commandment living. Where is the love touch? We can do all the rules. We can do all the rules. Do, 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 do. But if we don't do it with love, then it's a mess. The hug of being wrapped in the spirit of God's love. God is love. For the disciples to rebuke the people for bringing the children, it was totally against the kingdom of God. Like the disciples, we as religious or just plain smart, intelligent adults were like, shoo, 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 kids. We got more important things to do. But, you know, saying Jesus has more important things to do than to make a connection with you and bless your attitude, that was not Jesus. Jesus had love for the children. So after reading both of these, I'm thinking about children, and I'm thinking about John. You know, he was the favorite disciple, right? John, Grace. And he said something about us as his children. How many years after Jesus was gone? Long after Jesus, he wrote, 1 John 3, 1, See what great love! What great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. That is what we are. Now this is hope about children, because we've all messed up our children, because we're not perfect. We haven't all walked with Jesus. So I just want you all to know that maybe we've messed things up. We still have the Father God. We can pray. We can trust. He's getting people across their paths to bring them into the kingdom of God. Because see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. He puts his arms around us. He can put his arms around your children that are off somewhere. He touches us. Thank you, Father. He's full of life. He's full of fire. He blesses us only. There's no curses. Jesus became the curse. There are no curses for us or our children. 1 John 3, a little further down in 18, it says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth, how we know we belong to Jesus, and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. It says, if our hearts condemn us, if we're still having a little bit of problem living in the mixture, this is how I look at it, it says we know that God is greater than our hearts. We can know that. Okay, I'm feeling this, but I know God is greater. And he knows everything. So we can know we are loved. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. We're still subject to worldly thoughts. But there is no condemnation. No condemnation. So it goes on to say, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, because by grace you help us say no, we have confidence before God. Jesus plus nothing of me. <laughs> I have confidence that my Jesus is working things out and I receive from him anything I ask. 
because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Change what we believe. We change what we believe. If you're having a bad day, if you're having sad moments, you're not thinking right. Change your thinking. Look at what you're thinking. If you're having a down moment, if you're negative, think about what you're thinking. You know, the enemy always wants to put pressure on us. It's all up to you. It's all up to you. It's all up to you. No, I receive your grace, Father God. Whatever it is for the day, God, you will help me do it. The one who keeps God's commandments to love others lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. A little further in John, down in 1 John 5, 14, when, when I was reading that confidence, it was like, ah, 1 John 5, 14 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The devil's always trying to say, Hey, you're not being heard. No, he hears us. And since we know that we have the petition that we ask of him, believe it's done. Mark 11 believe it's done. We see it done. When we ask, you see it done. No matter what it looks like from that day on, it's done. Mountain, you have to move. And so that reminded me of Hebrews 11 verse 1. It says, now faith is confidence. That's all I got to. Faith is confidence. Now faith, it's a gift to me. It's confidence. I can have confidence in Jesus Christ. It does say, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence. Faith, being fully persuaded that Jesus did it all. It's a gift to you and me. It's not something of us in ourselves. Confidence in Jesus is faith. He has accomplished health and all of our provisions. In the last five years, there's been this attack against our health, and here lately, the recession, attack against our provisions. But God supplies all of our needs, right? God supplies. I may not have the money for it, but if I'm asking, God can bring it to me. My work is to believe. (laughs) Receive what God has to give you. Receive all that Jesus is. Rest in his presence. Rest in his love. In Hebrews 12, verse 28, it says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Well, how do I get to a place of believing? Receive. Receive by faith. We have a believing heart. Receive. I receive this year my aim, my goal, my expectation, leaving the past, pressing on to the goal of running the race, the grace race, the expectation of more of Jesus in our lives, right? That we hear Jesus, that we do what we see Jesus doing in the world, in our corner of the world. 
knowing without a doubt that we are his children. Grace upon grace, we are all great in the kingdom because we are his precious children. And in closing, John 15, 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you my friends. I have called you my friends, each and every one of you. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. This is my commandment. Love one another. Thank you, Father God. We just thank you for change. First of all, Father, we thank you that you are unchangeable, Father God, that you watch over every one of your promises, that you have made an oath to us, Father God, that you do not lie. You are unchangeable, Father God. Whatever you've done in the Bible for anybody else, Father God, you will do for each one of us more miracles. We just thank you, Father God. It is by grace through faith in all that Jesus has done. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the greatest, but we are in you, and we can be great in the world in the way that you call each and every one of us to be great. Thank you, Father God, we follow you. We thank you, Father God, that we are your children. We thank you, Father God, that you want to touch us, that you desire to pray, that you have prayed blessings over each one of us, that we receive your blessings, Father God, that we have your favor, that we have your grace, Father God, as we go about life. We thank you, Father God, we receive, we receive, Father God, what you have given us, Father God, and we praise you and glorify you and magnify you, Father God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is Mark Testerman, Senior Pastor of Triumphant Grace Ministries. I want to say thank you for listening to the finished work gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that the good news found throughout the message has richly encouraged you in the love of the Father. Friends, this podcast is supported by the generous financial support of its listeners. And if today's message has ministered to you, then would you consider a gift that ministers back to us? You can text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 833-632-1315, or you can visit triumphantgrace.com and donate through PayPal or credit card. The cornerstone scripture for Triumphant Grace Ministries is found in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. For by one sacrifice, He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Great grace, such grace, triumphant grace to you. God bless you.